This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Non-Invasive Ventilation Practical Issues by Dr. Robert Graham Please note that in this video we will be following the guidelines used at Boston Children's Hospital. Some of this information may need to be modified based on the equipment, guidelines, and practices in place in your institution. Hi, I'm Dr. Robert Graham. I'm an associate in the Division of Critical Care Medicine with the Department of Anesthesia at Children's Hospital Boston. Today, I'm going to talk to you about non-invasive ventilator support. This is going to be a conceptual approach to non-invasive ventilator support, considerations and uh, basic approaches. So today, my objectives are to review the basic concepts of non-invasive ventilator support. I'm going to discuss some of the practical considerations when using this uh, type of technology. Um, again, uh, I would refer you to PubMed and other uh, literature searches um, if you want some additional details, and we are always available uh, here at Children's for uh, additional uh, uh, reference. Clinical Scenarios now, you can imagine some clinical scenarios. We may use it as a trial um, of non-invasive before placing an endotracheal tube for acute respiratory failure. There are, in fact, very few um, uh, clear uh, indicators in terms of when non-invasive is more beneficial than placing uh, an endotracheal tube or an emergent tracheostomy. Um, and there are some trials ongoing. Right now, we're really looking at case series of um, of uh, utilization, but you can consider asthma, you can consider pneumonias, anything where, again, we're trying to recruit the lung and decrease workload. Um, it is also used as an, uh, as an adjuvant, as an early um, extubation um, mech mechanism. We will often look to patients to decrease their level of sedation, to decrease their likelihood of ventilator-acquired pneumonia, um, and to really sort of facilitate their communication and um, decrease resource utilization by transitioning them off of a ventilator onto non-invasive ventilation. Um, the bridge is actually very helpful in terms of decreasing their likelihood of requiring replacement of the endotracheal tube. We can often extubate them from a little bit deeper um, level of sedation, and uh, as long as their airway reflexes are intact, we feel safe in doing so. Now the question is, how do you wean from positive pressure um, through a translaryngeal airway to non-invasive? Um, and that's really, again, a very stylistic um, process and uh, really no clear guidelines. But I think if you take it in a stepwise fashion as you're coming down on your oxygen, as you're coming down on your peak pressures, and you're looking at the patient's work of breathing, um, their degree of tachypnea, their other cardiopulmonary uh, indices, that you um, then titrate accordingly. And when you get down to a level where they're awake and able to protect their airway, um, that is a, a good indication as to when to either um, trial uh, uh, extubating to BiPAP, or as you're escalating, uh, if they lose uh, any of their um, level of consciousness, their um, 
airway reflexes or you're escalating to a point where they're on very high levels of oxygen, greater than 60%, greater than 70%, certainly on 100%, then you may need to consider transitioning from non-invasive, conversely, to translaryngeal airway. We also use non-invasive ventilation for end-of-life comfort care, which um, is helpful in older patients, oftentimes who have made these decisions themselves, or in places where we really don't have the option to um, place an artificial airway. Uh, for patients who are older, um, can often communicate with you around end of life um, and assist you in the direction of their care. Um, and it may also be um, an option where you don't have um, ventilators to support them with. So it's definitely a consideration and may also allow you to um, extend their time to allow others to be involved in their care and help them make decisions about other interventions um, that may help them uh, in the long term. Advantages. What are some of the advantages um, over placing an endotracheal tube or a tracheostomy in the short term? Well, certainly uh, patients who are able to can communicate. Um, they can speak through a mask um, and uh, help direct their care and also inform you as to are they getting better or worse. Um, they can usually get away with less sedation, as I alluded to. Sometimes we use low-dose sedation to get them accustomed to it. Um, they may also be able to continue oral intake, or at least enteral intake, through a nasogastric or nasal jejunal tube. Um, anyone who's in the hospital is going to have delayed gastric emptying due to the stress of whatever their inciting pathology is. Um, but nutrition is a critical aspect of critical care and something that we often overlook. With non-invasive ventilation, if you put in uh, a feeding tube, um, you may have the capacity to continue feeding. Um, recognizing that you don't want a full stomach and potential for aspiration. But you may also have patients who are on improving trajectory and they're using non-invasive ventilation intermittently. And they may be allowed to eat during their times off, allow their stomachs to empty, and then put them back on support. Non-invasive ventilation has the advantage of uh, translaryngeal airways because you don't have the problems associated with the trauma of placement. Either the person uh, at the bedside doesn't have the skills to place the endotracheal tube or the equipment, and non-invasive ventilation is a means of supporting them either in transport or in the acute care setting um, without concerns for actually uh, inducing more airway problems. As I alluded to before, again, non-invasive ventilation allows you to maintain your normal airway reflexes if they're intact uh, at the outset. An artificial airway, if you were to take uh, an endotracheal tube and you have your vocal cords, you place the endotracheal tube between the vocal cords or through the vocal cords, and you're stenting open the airway. You are creating a pathway for microaspiration and potentially ventilator-acquired pneumonias. Non-invasive ventilation, in fact, actually, um, you know, does not have that problem, and. Uh, if you have intact reflexes, you're less likely to wind up with a ventilator-acquired pneumonia. Um, you do can watch for concerns for tracheitis with endotracheal tubes, sinusitis, uh, stenosis, and non-invasive ventilation, again, is a nice alternative if these are a concern, whether in the premature infant or an older patient. Technical considerations. Technical considerations, as I suggested, the uh, interfaces um, have really advanced significantly over the last five to ten years. We now have neonatal nasal prongs, neonatal masks, full face masks, 
uh, different types of interfaces with air and gel to decrease the skin compromise, as I talked about. Um, and uh, I think it's actually very helpful when you're looking at your ventilator types is to see if they have a non-invasive mode. Um, and uh, our respiratory therapist, again, will sort of review the setup and implementation. Trigger mechanisms, as I alluded to, um, can often be overcome. Either you're using pressure or flow triggered or a neonatal mode in many of these types of machines. And if, in fact, actually the patient is too weak or their increased work of breathing, you can set a, a mandatory timed uh, cycle uh, to allow them to uh, breathe more comfortably. Pressure or volume regulated, again, um, as with any type of ventilation, either through uh, an oral laryngeal tube or a transtracheal uh, tube, um, is very much a stylistic um, approach. Uh, we at Children's often use pressure regulated um, ventilation uh, as opposed to volume, which is very common in adults. Principally, this is due to our approach to heterogeneous lung disease and changing volumes and concern for ventilator-acquired lung injury. Um, but again, this is really uh, the choice of the practitioner and encourage you really to just implement what you are accustomed to. So oxygen sources can be added to any of the BiPAP machines or ventilators with non-invasive modes. And again, humidifiers are uh, crucial when looking at technical considerations. So there are some additional adjuvants that are, are non-invasive um, that can be helpful in respiratory failure. Um, cough assist device and non-invasive uh, chest physiotherapy devices, um, vests that literally percuss, uh, can be quite helpful with airway secretion clearance. And in patients who have neuromuscular respiratory insufficiency, can be quite helpful. For patients with advanced uh, cystic fibrosis or other chronic lung disease, um, can also help with airway clearance. So hopefully, um, I've talked about the practical considerations uh, when, when implementing this. So it's been a pleasure, and again, um, I look forward to speaking to you in the future, and we are available uh, as a resource as you move forward uh, with your critical care. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.